0: you bloodthirsty film nerds, I'm Eli M, and this is the Movie Massacre Podcast. Hello film nerdlings, welcome to episode two of the Movie Massacre Podcast, uh, the show that is made by film geeks for film geeks. I am very excited to have made it to a second episode. Uh, Who'd have thought we've come so far? So my goal with this project is to try and find all kinds of different people who are willing to talk about all kinds of different films or film-related topics, uh, regardless of whether or not they consider themselves to be a film aficionado. When you sit down and have a conversation about a particular film that moves you either in a good way or in a bad way, there's always some lovely surprises that can come out of that conversation. So, with that said, I'm extending the invitation out to anyone who's listening. If there's a film or a film-related topic that you'd either like to discuss or hear discussed, don't be shy and don't be quiet. You can email me and let me know what you think, what you'd like to talk about. The address is elismoviemassacre at gmail.com. That's E-L-I-S, Movie Massacre, all one word. Uh, Or you can follow me on the Twitter thingy, if you feel so inclined, at elismassacre. I'd love to hear from you. Okay, so now all that house cleaning stuff is out of the way. On to Oscar-related topics. I am making very good progress in terms of watching all the films. I only have twelve left to watch, which is good. Um, and I'm going to be posting a lot more reviews during the week, written reviews, not audio reviews. Still haven't watched War Horse yet. I'm putting that one off. Maybe I'll just like revise the nominations or something, and I won't have to. (sighs) Today you're going to hear a conversation uh, between me and my friend Connor about the film Moneyball. Uh, The film has been nominated for several Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Brad Pitt's been nominated for Best Actor, Jonah Hill's been nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and it also has gotten a nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay, written by Aaron Sorkin, favorite of mine, and Steven Zalian. The director is Bennett Miller, and you may not recognize his name, he he doesn't have a ton of films under his belt, but uh, his last big film was in 2005, which was Capote. If you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. It It's very well received. This particular film, Moneyball, is very elegant. I highly recommend seeing it if you haven't already done so. There's a lot of really beautiful quiet moments in this film. It's no surprise that it got a best picture nomination, in my opinion. All the acting and the writing and the directing are really very harmonious. Actually, Brad Pitt was a big champion to get this film made. He's listed as a producer In in interviews he talked about how fascinated he was with the book and how hooked he was just by the nature of the information that was included in the book. So, There's a lot of passion that went into this movie, and it really comes through on the screen. Consequently enough, my friend Connor was also hooked by the book. It's what actually drew him into baseball. So you're about to hear our conversation. Again, there are going to be some spoilers, so consider yourself warned if that's an issue for you. Okay, let's go talk to Connor. With me today in a much warmer Montreal apartment than my own is um, Connor. Why don't you say hello, Connor? Hello. Connor, what do you do for a living?
1: I'm a manager at a nondescript company. (laughs) It's very hush-hush.
0: Connor, what qualifies you to be on this podcast?
1: I'm really into sports and stats, and I'm a really big geek when it comes to all that kind of thing. So I used to go through every individual hockey report and read every single stat and memorize them. Really? I really did. Um, (laughs) So baseball's a newer thing for me. I actually got into it because of Moneyball more, so...
0: I never knew that. That's well. I'm I'm even more confident now in my decision to bring you into this situation because, (laughs) quite frankly, I know absolutely nothing about baseball. I mean, Montreal, you know, has a very sordid history when it comes to (sighs) baseball.
1: Namely, we don't have a team. Very sad. Uh,
0: So, if you haven't already guessed, you few listeners, uh, we're talking about Moneyball today. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) We're so late. I know. So Moneyball starring Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, a lot of very well-known characters in very little roles also. Mm
1: -hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip
0: Seymour Hoffman, yes. And Robin Wright playing the um, token vagina in the movie. The screenplay was adapted by uh, Aaron Sorkin and some other lovely lovely gentlemen whose names I can't remember at the moment. Um, But it's earned them an Oscar nominee, which I was very excited to hear, Mm -hmm. because I'm a big fan of Aaron Sorkin's writing. And I guess the main question, or the big question, to start off is how did the movie compare to the book?
1: They did a much better job with the movie than I thought they would. Uh, The book is It's very interesting, but it's not linear at all. Um, It goes from a chapter on Chad Bradford, who's in the movie. There's a whole chapter on his upbringing and Mm -hmm. um, how he couldn't make his high school team.
0: Was Chad Bradford the guy who He's the pitcher that's kind of
1: underhanded. And just sort of how his whole style developed. And then there would be a chapter on Billy Bean as a kid. And then there would be a chapter on sabermetrics. And then it kind of jumped all over the place. And the book also takes place over... Uh, two or three different Oakland A's seasons, so it's not just the one season, and it goes through the different players that they drafted. Um, Ultimately, I liked the book more, but I'm also, as I previously mentioned, a big geek when it comes to stats. Um, So I really liked that aspect about delving into sabermetrics and delving into all that kind of thing. But the movie told a much better story, and it was much more linear, and for the more general audience, it's definitely a lot better, um, and I thought they captured the characters really well. Not just Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, but also, well, not so much Art Howe. I mean, Art Howe was fine, but he was a very small role in the movie.
0: Yeah,
1: um... But Steve, or sorry, Scott Hattenberg, and even Chad Bradford, um, even though he didn't really say a whole lot, I thought they captured they got the uh, the essence of the person right, like the right body language, the confidence and, and that kind of thing, so that was good.
0: Yeah, well I think the the point of the or the focus of the movie was really on why this particular thing matters so much. Like why this yep. way of crunching the, the premise is that is it's, it's that Jonah Hill's character comes up with a way of condensing all of these players' stats into mm-hmm. a way that takes out the biased, essentially. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the perspective from It's essentially
1: looking at all the stats, the most important of which is on base percentage, to figure out what, having what players equals sort of wins. He says the line in the movie that it's, you should be trying to buy wins, not players. Right. Um... So basically it's coming up with a system, and he's a Yale grad, and he has a degree in economics anyway, so statistically he's just able to put together a formula that weights all these different percentages, and he gets a percentage at the end. They conclude that um, defense is actually generally pretty similar, like a good defender might get a few more outs in a year than a bad defender. Um, So they pretty much say, who cares if they can defend or not, which is shown when they decide that they want Hattenberg to play first base. So he basically comes up with a formula to figure out what players are strong, and, yeah. uh, he yeah. He takes
0: out the old boys yeah. club mentality of, like, we mm-hmm. can feel out which players have yeah. got it, we can feel out which players yeah. don't, which was it's really...
1: ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I mean, this is kind of how I felt when I was watching it now. There's a scene at the beginning where, mm-hmm. um, he's sitting around with all his team, and they're all going, this is a good boy, this is a, this is a star, this is good. this one's yeah. gonna be a hockey star. I uh, hockey. <laughs> Jeez, where's my head at? <laughs> Can you tell that I'm doing this in Montreal? Like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> freaking halves are killing me. Anyway, oh this one's gonna be a baseball star. Baseball.
1: Baseball. <laughs> baseball.
0: We're on baseball now, okay? Yeah. <laughs> the numbers don't add up, and whenever Brad Pitt tries to put someone forward, is like, this one has a good reaction. They have an excuse of, oh, he parties too much. Oh, he throws funny. Um, which yeah. he really does. and they show that picture of him, oh, like, yeah. your arm looks like it's broken. Um... And the fact
1: that they take into account the attractiveness of the player's girlfriend.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They're like, this doesn't say enough yeah. about him as a man. It says he's underconfident because his girlfriend's too ugly. Yeah,
1: he's a good-looking guy is the <sighs> second thing. I mean, it's just ridiculous yeah. that they would pick a player based on his jawline and
0: yeah, which, how good he is
1: with women. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, and especially now, I mean, as you probably have gathered, um, we are both large hockey fans, and mm-hmm. I mean, that's all hockey is. It's like, they trade somebody, like, pick them up, get rid of them. I mean, I, I, could, <laughs> I couldn't imagine making a decision about a, a, your sports team based on, on some something superficial like that, but I mean, it, I guess it speaks to how big a deal this 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 number system was, because he had to prove that there was another way of playing baseball because mm-hmm. the resistance that he met was was all of these old men going. We know the feel of the game. Like mm-hmm. you just gotta feel it. Like you're gonna throw away all this history of doing it this way for this one thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: uh, I was I was I was really shocked by that, um, especially since on the other side of the pond, like so if you I mean they're basically taking an economic principle and applying it to human interaction, which is kind of how the stock market works and kind of how large corporations Mm -hmm. trade on an international level. It amazed me that 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 principle of number crunching and reducing like an entire country down to like a high risk or low risk percentage was perfectly acceptable in one field and yet was completely crazy Mm -hmm. in sports where it actually makes more sense in sports than it does in in some other places that it's used.
1: And Especially for baseball more than any other sport it makes the most sense because baseball is so much an individual sport In terms of if you're the batter, it's you versus the pitcher There's no there's really no one else around when you're in the field You're the only one fielding it and yes You have to throw the ball in and there is some teamwork involved, but more than any other sport. It's Mm -hmm. one-on-one Well, not any other sport more than any other team sport. It's one-on-one and that's why That kind of number crunching works much better for baseball than other sports. They do Mm -hmm. try and apply it to hockey. They try and apply it to football. Mm -hmm. But it's worked a lot better in baseball than any other sport as well. You know, just because there is this way of doing something and everyone's done that for a million years doesn't mean that there isn't some better way of doing something that's yes. sort of lying right under the surface that people are, people are refusing to look at. So
0: yeah, was, was that um, element in the book too?
1: Yeah, that's it, a big part of the book. Okay. Um, and really, that's a big part of what drew me into both the book and the movie is that's one of my principles is I really like to try and find new better ways of doing things so seeing a book that is so much about that and Uh, uh, a real world application on such a large scale is amazing and
0: yeah and and I mean I can think of so many examples where people use the excuse well we've always done it this way and Mm -hmm. that's why we're still going to do it this way yeah um which is a very frustrating excuse especially when it comes to Certain human rights in this country. Yes. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to. That's a whole subject. other
1: conversation.
0: Well, that was probably the most, thematically, that was the biggest thing that came out. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's lots of reasons why this particular movie was very well done, too. Mm -hmm. It's very understated. I was expecting a lot more dialogue involving stats being thrown around, and Mm -hmm. I found that it was very minimal. It was one of those scripts where the characters say just as much when they aren't speaking as they do when they are speaking. I mean, Jonah Hill's character, most of his lines are explaining... concept. Mm -hmm. It's a testament to his acting because he does create a character with, you know, his sort of awkwardness and his shyness, but the actual dialogues themselves are very much, they're pretty much just him explaining why this theory is important to you, um, at the beginning and at the end. Um, but Brad Pitt was so adorable in this movie. He was, I mean, okay, I'm biased, right? Because it's Brad Pitt. I can't get over how gorgeous that man is. Anyway, (sighs) <sighs> he also is a fabulous actor. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. Side note.
0: <laughs> no, but I mean, he really, he really did. I mean, he, he's just. I mean, he's always eating in the movie, which is really gross. It also amazes me, like um, how gorgeous he looks when he's stuffing his face with disgusting food. <laughs> but anyway, like he, his character, he's eating. He's awkward. He's very standoffish. He's very cold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the first scenes that you see him in, he's like drunk calling Jonah Hill. You know, he's not kind of. I mean, he's sympathetic in the sense that he's the underdog, and he's pushing to do something better, but mm-hmm. there isn't a whole lot that's, like, super likable about his character until you meet his daughter about halfway through, right?
1: Probably about a quarter of the way in. Yeah, she, uh, she does really well. She yeah. has quite a, an amazing voice, actually.
0: Well, I don't want to keep going back to the book, but um, was that whole storyline with the relationship with his family that was no. also, that, that was not really part of the
1: book? wasn't a very big part of the book at all.
0: Well, I guess it makes you well, it does make you much more sympathetic to him yeah, as a person. It definitely. does build his character. The whole overall tone of the film is is very minimal. Like there's very little score. Actually, a mm-hmm. lot of the exposition is given to the audience with newscaster commentary. There's that one particular voice that was always constantly being critical of him and his methods. Yeah, there is a lot of shots of uh, Brad Pitt kind of alone listening to the radio because did he he never would watch the games no is that, that it? was
1: his he was very superstitious so he never wanted to watch the games he would usually go to the gym and work out and then he'd kind of flip it on flip it off right away or he'd listen on his little handheld radio and yeah. i mean this took place in 2002 so that wasn't exactly uh something everybody had yeah um, i guess yeah. Eh? and as a side note the uh the broadcaster is Joe Morgan. He's still around, and he's a he's a hater on sabermetrics. Really? Yeah.
0: Well, you, he does not. You mean he does not like it in this movie? Like at no point. No. Is he is he positive about this? I it, it, I mean he sounds he sounds like an old dinosaur really when he's talking for a sports movie. I found it very tolerable <laughs> because there was none of those sports cliches. There was yeah. the you know the the climax of the film isn't hinging on the will he or won't he win the game, will he or won't he hit the thing. There's no, like, big cheering scene at the end, like when they break the record um, for most games, one in a row. Yeah. You know, so um, I appreciated that quite a bit in the film because if there's anything I hate more, it's a cliche in a movie. But I really liked how the focus of this film really was on this process and why this process changes the game and it doesn't change it because they win the World Series. It changes it because because everybody, even though they all shit on it,
1: because yeah. it doesn't
0: win the World Series, suddenly the next year everyone's doing it. Yeah. And that's kind of the key point, the, the underhanded win. Yeah.
1: Hey Billy, I
0: wanted you to see these player evaluations that you asked me to do.
1: I asked you to do three. Yeah evaluate three players?
0: Yeah.
1: How many did you do? 47. Okay.
0: Actually, 51. I don't know why I lied. Just. I want to ask you also, is there a particular part of the film or scene or element that stood out to you as the most uh, enjoyable, aside from what we've already talked about?
1: Yeah, it's all very enjoyable. Um my favorite part of the movie probably the the best part i mean just sort of as a side note of that is uh, when they're playing the 20th game he's pretty much driving down the highway and he just doesn't want to be anywhere near the game whatsoever and he gets a call from his ex-wife who pretty much tells him that he should turn on his radio or come back to the game because it's going to be a piece of history and he should be involved and you can sort of see the the internal battle with him and I I fully get that cuz I'm very superstitious about weird things especially during hockey playoffs <laughs> um so he turns on his radio and hears that they're up 11 nothing and he cuts a guy off in the freeway and speeds back yeah and then you just see him kind of come out of the tunnel and Jonah Hill notices him as thinking, what the heck is going on here, yeah. and then next thing you know, the other team starts coming back, Yelly. and they score five runs in that inning, and he just pieces out <laughs> and goes back to the gym and starts yeah. uh, starts working out again, and every once in a while, sort of turn on the TV, Yeah. and then sort of at the last second, he kind of, he watches it, and he sees the Scott Hattenberg, the guy that he signed and everyone laughed him for, ends up hitting the game-winning home run, and he's obviously very excited, but... Yeah. As you said, there wasn't much more.
0: You, as an audience, even if you're not superstitious, suddenly you're buying into his superstition, right? You're like, "Why did you turn around? You're gonna make them lose," which is completely ridiculous. It doesn't happen. it doesn't make any sense. Um, there's there's all kinds of little um, great moments like that in this movie. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, that was really that was really good. <laughs> yeah. And the other part that stood out to me was the fact that he goes, he meets with the general manager of the Boston Red Sox, who actually has the same mentality as him and and wants him to take over and offers him the most money of any general manager in the history of sports.
0: It was a ridiculous amount of money,
1: yeah. Yeah, and the Boston Red Sox are one of the most hallowed teams ever, and they hadn't won at that point since 1908, and there's the whole Curse of the Bambino, and... It's just ridiculous. Which I got.
0: They referenced that in the movie. I was like, I know what that is. Exactly. That's a baseball reference that I know.
1: Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, the the end of the movie when he's driving back and he he can't decide and then he puts on the CD of his daughter singing is just and then he decides to stay for maybe a tenth of the money. He's probably making $250,000 and he turns down, okay, less than a tenth, like a hundredth of the money yeah. um, just so he can stay close to his daughter and because he wants to finish what he started. So... I really liked the ending of the movie even though obviously I knew they didn't win
0: the daughter is definitely the scene stealer I think in this in this movie I mean she's really only in she's in the beginning when you first meet her and it's adorable and then the movie ends on her voice right Mm -hmm. Uh, singing that song to her dad and um, it was I mean I really loved how the movie was filmed it was very simple but um, very touching and honest at the same time Um, and the ending I mean I, I thought it was a it was the perfect ending. Usually, I'm not a fan of title cards at the end of movies. They usually piss me off because I think if you if you haven't been able to tell me yet in the film, why yeah. are you telling me now? Like, find a way of telling me in the movie. Fair enough. But um, it was appropriate to the context of this film because I don't know why it didn't piss me off this time. Maybe it's probably just because it's Brad Pitt. Think.
1: You just wanted to see him cry. You wanted that to be the last...
0: <gasps> I don't want to see him... Him, him you know, tearing
1: up at the oh end there. Oh my
0: gosh. Like, really, it's really difficult for me to see Brad Pitt crying. Like, it really <laughs> was painful. I was like, no, Brad, don't cry. Oh, it's okay. And then uh, I realized, I was talking to my computer, Scene. Was there anything that you didn't like about this movie?
1: I would have liked there to be more trade talk. <laughs> <laughs> because I am a nerd. And uh, <laughs> that was a big part of the book, was how he would play one GM against another. And there was a bit when he was trying to get uh, Ricardo Rincon.
0: Oh, yes. That's, that was yeah. the other scene that I wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah. Well, um, when he was trying to get him, you could you could see he was trying to play uh, the GMs off against each other. So essentially what he decided to do was he wanted to get this guy Ricardo Rincon. So he, he called to investigate what was happening and... The other guy, the uh, general manager on the other end of the phone said, oh, well, you probably can't afford him. Uh, that was another theme to the movie because they have no payroll. Oh, that, that yeah, that GMs keep thing. saying, well, these are players you can afford. And often they were sort of not willing to part with players because they didn't think his team could afford them. So he was they weren't taking him seriously, I guess is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. But essentially what happened was he called and found out another GM was also interested in Rincon. And he figured out, okay, what team needs this type of player that would be interested in this guy in the hunt for a playoff spot. So he figured out it was San Francisco. So what he did was he called San Francisco and offered to trade them one of their relievers without them knowing that they were interested in Rincon. So he offered to trade them the same type of player, but a guy that was worse, that would also free up more money Mm -hmm. um, in order to be able to afford the salary of Rincon. They also played off a third general manager to try and get even more out of it. So in the end, he ended up getting rid of one player and then he had to cut another player, but he got the player that he wanted. Mm -hmm. And I believe he even got some cash, so he he got 200,000 or 250,000, which is hilarious because really he should have been in a bidding war with the general manager in San Francisco but because he's smart and figured all this stuff out, he moved players around and was able to get the pitcher that he wanted, plus the money to pay him (laughs) for a guy he didn't really want anyway. Yeah. Uh, So it was, it was pretty interesting. And the book chronicles about six or seven different trades like that. So I just would have liked to see a little more of that. Yeah. As Liz was saying, she couldn't, quite figure it out. So I I felt they could have been a little more clear because they weren't... They were just calling the general managers by their first names. Yeah. And even I found that a bit confusing...
0: Yeah, I, I bet it was quite the challenge in terms of how much to decide how much of that information to oh, put definitely. in, and how much to include in the storyline. But it's a testament, really, to the filmmakers in that I didn't care. <laughs> I yeah. was, I was telling Connor earlier that the, um, that scene was really exciting for me, and I had, I had no idea what was <laughs> happening. I was like, I know, I mean, in typical Aaron Sorkin fashion, right? Like. He's very good at at putting a lot of information together in very exciting ways. Um, and then afterwards you're like, well, I don't really understand, but I know it's a good thing. And that's kind of what happens at the end of the scene. Him and Jonah Hill are going back and forth on the phone, and they're looking at each other, and they're throwing each other names that you have to be in the know to know, or to catch. And then at the end, when Brad Pitt finally gets what he wants, or rather when Billy Bean finally gets what he wants, he, you know, like, throws his hand up in victory and, like, leans back in his chair with this, like, shitting grin on his face. And uh, I'm, I'm sitting in my kitchen going like, Oh, yeah! I'm so excited! We won, too! But I don't understand what we just won. So, um, that, I think it's a testament to, even if you don't like baseball, even if you've never seen a sports movie... I think this this is a yeah. movie for sports fans and non sports fans alike. Yeah. I guess
1: it's a good bringing together of the sports fan. There isn't a lot of actual sports in the movie, as you mentioned.
0: Yeah, there there really isn't that, and I only noticed that after I started going back and thinking about it. I mean, there's a lot of scenes that happen around the sports while it's going on, but it's almost it's just in the background, right? Yeah. It's almost as if the actual sport itself is just but like this isn't the story that we're telling, you know.
1: Exactly. Lots of time spent in the locker room That's and true, talking yes. to players. Uh, Jeremy Giambi, who was kind of was the the guy the scouts he was were concerned the kid about, kid
0: brother of the of, big star, player, yeah, right, yeah, of
1: uh Jason Giambi,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, he was doing a little strip tease <laughs> after they'd lost a game, and Billy Bean came in and flipped out and threw oh, yeah, some that stuff was a good around, too, yeah. and uh, then he went and traded him. <laughs> and the way he let decide to let him know was. A base, basically a big middle finger to his, his manager. He he brought the guy into the room with the manager sitting there who knew nothing and told him that he'd traded Giambi. And then once Giambi went and stomped away, he told him, essentially, I'll just keep trading players until you play the team that I want, the way that I want them to play. And after that, that's kind of what turned it around.
0: <laughs> Which <laughs> so, is a pretty asshole thing to do. Oh,
1: it was huge. Huge but it, grout, I mean, power it, grab. But. Yeah,
0: and the, that was actually, that was a very, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman is always one of those just a- actors who just always brains it no matter what happens, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he played it really well because I didn't feel, I didn't hate him, but I definitely disliked him but i did feel a little sympathy for him because you know he says it he's like the that the lineup is mine like i do the lineup this is this is my turf what are mm-hmm. you doing getting on my turf who are you why are you questioning what i'm just playing the team that i've got at, that i that that you've given me you asshole <laughs> <laughs> um you really see that dynamic and there's a you, Philip Seymour Hoffman manages to get a little bit of sympathy for that for that guy yeah um who is essentially just behaving like a dinosaur and it's just like I've already done it this way like we were saying before I've always done it this way this is the way we're gonna do it and I mean it's kind of astounding that that was the mentality because it's like you're losing you're at the bottom of the league why do you still want clearly what you're doing isn't working why are you still doing it
1: yeah, well, he mentions too in the movie that he wants to make sure that because uh, he wouldn't, he refused oh, to sign him right. to more than a one-year contract.
0: Yeah, because he did, he's like, I'm getting my resume ready, or what is it? Exactly. Really so is, he
1: yeah. he wanted to make moves so that when he had oh, to apply yeah. for jobs the next year, he people could. wouldn't think he's crazy. So yeah. part of it is also a self-fulfilling prophecy because no one wants to hire anyone that's doing something crazy like that. So he just yeah wanted to go with the status quo, so he was a more eligible person
0: i guess and of course
1: he looks like a hero because he ends up winning but it takes billy being being an ass (laughs) to do what he wants to do (laughs)
0: like being a class a dick (laughs) on tuesday when the nominations came out i was like oh I'm, i'm satisfied the only nomination that i don't really get is jonah hill i guess it's kind of a stretch for him but he just kind of stands there and looks awkward the whole movie and that's not to say that he did he did that badly he did that very well I don't know, in terms of the big league of best yeah. five supporting male performances. <laughs> I don't know if that qualifies, but, you know, I've disagreed with the Academy Awards
1: before. So. Yeah, just once or twice, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, but Jonah Hill, I, I think it's probably just more because it's such a departure. He's always kind of playing the... He plays awkward pretty well, but usually it's in a funny, awkward way, yeah, whereas it's this was more... it's much...
0: Well, as my mother told me, she was like, I thought he would be much louder. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, she's going to hate me if I include that clip in this podcast.
1: Which is why you should.
0: (laughs) All right. Oh, oh, I forgot to ask you at the beginning. What's an example of a a movie that you think is a good movie? Just, it doesn't have to be like a fancy one or, you know, just like, you're feeling down, pop it on, and things are good again.
1: My favorite comedy ever is Forgetting Sarah Marshall.
0: Oh, yay! That
1: is my favorite one. Jason Segel is kind of my hero, so... I love that. And Jonah Hill's in that movie, too.
0: Oh, Jonah Hill is in that movie, yeah. and he is also awkward.
1: A little bit of a drug dealer. A little bit <laughs> a of a drug dealer, dealer, that's true.
0: I love Forgetting Sarah Marshall, mostly because Jason Segel starts off naked. Very naked. Very naked. And
1: he makes the thwapping sound. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's much more naked Jason Segel in the unrated version that I bought. Oh, yeah. There's a couple... There's, there's like, there's multiple a more, shots.
1: a few more scenes of that. There And there's no naked women. It's...
0: Kind no, of there unfair. of course there is. There's uh Sarah Marshall and Russell Brand get it on all the time. Yeah, but in there's that not movie.
1: actual nakedness. There's only fake nakedness. Okay, alright. But yeah.
0: There was no nakedness in Moneyball.
1: No. I don't I don't really need nakedness.
0: No. No.
1: That's <laughs> not why I like forgetting Sarah Marshall.
0: <laughs> I just thought I'd bring it back around to Moneyball. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Although if
1: Brad Pitt got naked, you probably would have enjoyed that.
0: <laughs> if Brad Pitt could naked in this movie, I wouldn't have noticed anything else going on. Fair enough. I'll be like, what was that movie where Brad Pitt got naked? Oh yeah. What book. if
1: him and Jonah Hill were standing side by side, both naked? Would that have?
0: I <laughs> wouldn't see Jonah Hill. No matter. That <laughs> wouldn't kind of even it. No. No, well, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, how you put it in my head, Connor? <laughs> you just ruined. You ruined it. God damn it! All right. Do you have anything else to say before I turn off this stupid thing and try and scrub my brain out?
1: <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Moneyball's great. Go see it.
0: There you go. It's fun to sing with your song, but I don't want people to listen to me. Well, honey, I think people would love to listen to you. That's beautiful. Would you sing a little for your
1: dad right here in the middle of the store? A little bit. A little bit. You ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Just a little bit caught in the middle Life is a maze and love is a riddle
0: I don't know where to go, can't do it alone I've tried and I don't
1: know why I'm just a little girl lost in the moment I'm so scared but I don't show it I can't figure it out It's bringing me down, I know I've got to let it go and Just enjoy the show
0: There you have it. Thanks for listening. As always, you can email me your thoughts and your comments at elismoviemassacre at gmail.com, or you can always follow me on that Twitter thingy, at elismassacre. Alright, until the next time, I'm off to go watch some more Oscar movies, but not War Horse. Not yet.